Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. On the Record with White House Correspondent April Ryan. I'm April Ryan with On the Record. It's always a pleasure to sit at the feet and listen to wisdom of the great Bishop T.D. Jakes. Um, just talking to you, you've been busy. Yes. You've been in Africa and, yes. and you said you just landed and you're hitting the ground running with this latest book that's... Um, you know, you and I talked about a year or so ago, I said it's the hustle, but mm-hmm. it's entrepreneurship yes. for one community, for another community, it's the hustle Absolutely. to keep money flowing, to keep capital coming into your home. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about this latest project and how this interesting intersection is occurring with Africa and yeah. this project that you're talking about. First of all, there's some great things going on in Africa as they also are trying to increase the strengthening uh, middle class, mm. trying to figure out how to do that. And entrepreneurship is really the catalyst for uh, the underserved communities over there. Now I'm going to ask you, is there really a black middle class in Africa? I mean, in in South Africa, maybe, but is there really a growing black middle class there? It's coming in Ghana and Nigeria. Really? Uh, at one point, Nigeria had the fastest growing middle class in the world really? uh, because of oil and gas, right. and because of Nollywood, because of mm-hmm. uh, innovative ideas that we have not seen coming out of Nigeria before. We are starting to see that. Uh, the Ghana that I came back to is not the Ghana I saw 10 years ago. Really? Highways, uh, skyscrapers, businesses coming in, but they're coming in from the other side of the world, from China and Malaysia and uh, Dubai and things like that. What they're tra- so there is the beginning of, of a middle class. It's not the thriving, robust middle class that we want it to be. But when you look at it closely and compare it to what's going on in the African American community, we too are have the beginning of a middle class struggling trying to find its footage. We've lost so much turf from what we had back in 2005. Uh, and that's why there is some synergy in the conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually released my book first in South Africa. Wow. Yeah, before releasing it in America. Why? The, the big, because it, this, the issues are so relevant. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I, the first lady of Namibia was making a speech uh, when I was in Namibia, and she could have been talking about Harlem. She could have been talking about anywhere in the world mm-hmm. because the same issues apply globally. Mm-hmm. And so finding a way uh, for all of all people to be concerned about underserved communities because the problems that we don't solve uh, end up become the, becoming the cancers that destroy us. So no people can afford to ignore the sufferings of the underserved. It's it's a seeding bed for terrorism. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's the catalyst from which crime erupts. Wow. It's so many things that are deterrents to society overall mm-hmm. are saying you cannot relegate this problem over and say you have a problem. No, we have a problem. Mm-hmm. Because we're not really whole until everybody's whole. And the, the goal of my book is not to teach people how to be wealthy. 
the goal of my book is to teach people how to be self-sufficient and self-reliant. So what's the name of this wonderful book? <laughs> Self-Sufficient and Reliant. Soar. 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 And, and I wrote it Soar because I built it around the concept of the Wright brothers and how the Wright brothers, without a degree, mm. without a lot of funding or financing, built the first airplane in a bicycle shop. Yeah. And it really epitome. In North Carolina. Yeah, yeah. It, well, first in Dayton. Yeah. And then released it to fly in North, North Carolina. Carolina yeah. And they moved it to North Carolina to Kitty Hawk because the winds were right. Oh. And I think that the winds are right hmm. uh, for us right now to have a substantive conversation. Uh, we don't have all the resources like they did. Mm -hmm. We don't always have all the academics like they mm -hmm. did, but we have a vision. And so the subtitle of the book is Building Your Vision from the Ground Up. And you know, we talked about this earlier, you know, the hustle, I, you know, I talked to my friends and some people like to say, oh, well, you know, you've got all these jobs, are you having economic troubles? No, I'm trying to soar. The hustle, there's nothing wrong with the hustle. We still have the stigma of working a second job. It looks like something's wrong. Mm -hmm. Is there a stigma issue with this? I don't think there's, there should be a stigma issue. In fact, what I've been encouraging people to do for many of us, we cannot afford to walk off of a full-time job and go into entrepreneurship right. to see if it's gonna work. So we have to do it as a hobby to mm -hmm. see if we can build up enough strength behind it uh -huh. and enough wind behind it before we step into our own territory. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that I have admired about people like you that epitomize what I'm talking about in the book, while you have been faithful to build up the brand of the people you work for, you have not been negligent of building up your own brand and your own presence and I think that's a very smart thing that needs to be done by all professionals because companies have a way of not rewarding loyalty right, like that's they true. once did that's true. and if you don't continue to build your own brand and have uh, multiple streams of income you can find yourself at the change of an administration right. to buy out of a corporation without a job and a change of direction altogether right. so what you have epitomized in journalism many of us are trying to epitomize in other areas of our expertise and I'm trying to say in this book that you don't have to have a lot of funding and a lot of resources to go forward. You're listening to On the Record. There's another point that we need to talk just a little bit about. One of the things that inspired me to write the book, you know, I wrote Woman Art Loose years ago from a spiritual Yes, you did. Yeah. I had the workbook, the book, everything else that came from it, <laughs> yeah, yes. Absolutely. And Destiny, I love your books. Yeah. yeah. So this is uh, two, two chapters in the book I dedicate to women. African-American women and women of color are going into business more readily than any other people group. Uh, but they're also going out of business. Mm -hmm. Two things. is saying that there, we have strong black and brown women who are really trying to figure out how to uh, build the kinds of dreams that they want with or without a companion. Right. Uh, and so that's a necessity now. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. A we are increasing in number as head of household. Absolutely. Yeah. And so they're having to be innovative to do that. And but they're often doing it without having mentors. And mm. so the crash rate uh, of entrepreneurship when you're not being mentored is very, very high. I tried to put everything that I knew and everything that I could find from all of my friends, mm -hmm. uh, the people that I've observed, the people that I've worked with, the people that I've been around, from entertainment to mm -hmm. real estate, mm -hmm. uh, that to oil, to, to talk about ways that uh, our women could be more effective and could move up the line. Mm -hmm. Here's the big problem. The access to capital is a huge yes, problem. Yes, yes. Okay? The access to mentoring 
somebody to talk to that you can trust who's gone through it so the learning curve can be demanded. Who's in finance. Who, yes, yes. yes, who understands it. That's a problem. The third thing is, a, is this problem, and I really want to get this out there. We mistake busyness for business. Okay, so we're so busy doing the work, we don't get to step back and think the work and make the kinds of decisions because we always are making our living with our own two hands. And so in the book I talk about you might be better to hire somebody to do what you do so that you can think through the decisions, the direction, the marketing, the planning, uh, and, and the long-term brand of your company. And most of us don't have time to do that because we are too busy to Being think. strategic, yeah. yeah. Being strategic in your planning. So you, you, you came into something, the number one issue, with not just black business or women women owned businesses, access to capital for minorities. Mm -hmm. That's one of the main re pieces for business to fail. We don't have disposable income like other communities and banks don't readily lend to us. Mm -hmm. You are, I mean, you are this mega preacher of a mega church, but you're also a movie maker. Mm -hmm. You're also a speaker. You're also an author. You're also a talk show. I mean, you've got, I mean, probably pots of money that I can't even talk about or know. I mean, you know, and your wife has, um, well, meaning like, you know, you have your hands in a lot of different pots mm -hmm. and your wife has um, a home decor. You know, I mean, you guys are capitalizing on entrepreneurship and soaring. Mm -hmm. What would you say? to the average person who's not a Bishop Jakes mm -hmm. or, or a Mrs. Jakes, a First Lady Jakes, to be able to get that capital, to have that discretionary fund, because that is a lot of the piece as to why young businesses fail, that money, or how to get someone to, a bank to really say, okay, I'm going to take you seriously, and I'm gonna give you a $5,000 loan instead of a $100,000 loan. You're right, right. You know, is it, is it about using your house as capital? Is it about ownership to leverage that as a it's piece? A, it, first of all, you would be surprised. Very few of the projects that I have done have been done because I had uh, money invested into uh, really? the, the efforts that I did. I bootstrap all the way, hand to mouth all the way, Way. We were able to build our business by taking the profits from doing small business ventures and investing it back into the business. Wow. In the book, I talk about that all businesses start out not for profit, especially when you have to start on the level that we did. I am very much like my father. We were not funded when we started our company. TDJ Enterprises existed before the Potter's House, so it wasn't the wind of the wow. Potter's House that built the enterprise. Mm -hmm. We just built it from the ground up. Hence, my subtitle is Building the business from the ground up. I did not have the airlift of, of my white counterparts, of some of my right. white counterparts, because not all of them have it either, of being able to um, get on the phone and raise two or three million dollars to get started. That is not my reality. I'm just like my father, who started a business with a mop and a bucket and invested back into the business till he had 52 employees. And then I, I talked to a, a Republican recently, a black Republican who has the ear of the president, mm -hmm. or had the ear of the president, and he said, you know, there was a time when black business was thriving, mm -hmm. when we were segregated, not mm -hmm. integrated, mm -hmm. when we had to rely on each other, mm -hmm. when we couldn't go to other places. I found that very fascinating because we don't have that kind of um, 
assurance that we're going to buy from our own now. And that's creating a lot of problems for new startup black businesses. What do you say about that, that theory? You know, I think that it has some relevance in it, but I don't think that we're ever going to see the days again that we saw back in the 60s mm -hmm. where we lived on a particular side of the tracks. And part of that is a result of success. We mm -hmm. fought for the right to be able to live anywhere we wanted to, mm -hmm. but we decentralized our communities in doing so. Mm -hmm. I think we have to rethink what we call communities because today communities can be developed through technology. You can have a subsets of social groups that connect through technology today. It's not always about zip codes and, right. and area codes. And we have to think about global income. We have to think about economics from 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 Dubai to Durban to Dallas. We can no longer think about the south side of Chicago. We have to think bigger than, than our parents did about money. Currency is a global discussion. I think we need to be participants in the global discussion rather than trying to get our community to all move in the same neighborhood. To his point, there is something to be said for a society of people who need, for example, black hair care products mm. and they're buying it from Asian people. We have to think more globally about money today if we're gonna get into the game. We, while the hand may be black, white, or brown, the money is green. Mm -hmm. And we have to create ways where we can synergistically connect. Uh, one of the things that my research brought to my attention is that businesses that start purely from the perspective of the person who started it needs money generally go out of business at an alarming escalated rate you could be the same person who needs capital but your business can't be built around your need it must be built around the need of your consumer mm -hmm. businesses that res that solve problems for people that meet a need for mm -hmm. other people are far more likely to be profitable. So what I'm suggesting to you is not just the fact that we start a business, it is how we think about the business, right. how we strategize the business, where we locate the business, how we target a particular market for the business. These are all the things that we took on in this book. It's not a fluffy, feel good, God's got your back and everything's gonna be all right sort of book. It really is a practical, pragmatic look at strategic thinking, uh, infrastructure for success in business, uh, getting access to capital. There are some uh, small pots of money that are out there, still out there with the SBA and other places that are still being underutilized that we don't have information about. Right. There is the possibility of writing grant money sometimes that we're underutilizing that we can't access for capital. But having the good fiduciary integrity to understand that the first few years even though your business is up and running, you have to think of it much like an embryo where mm -hmm. all of the feeding goes in. You can't expect the business to feed you until you feed it. Wow. Bob Johnson told me something very critical when he talked about business entrepreneurship years ago mm -hmm. during the Clinton years. Bob Johnson, the, um, the, the founder of Black Entertainment Television, mm -hmm. he said ownership was important. Mm -hmm. Home ownership. Yes. And in some communities, like for instance, I'm from Baltimore. Baltimore is a huge renters community. Mm -hmm. What do you say about ownership as, as the leverage? I think that is, I'm a strong believer in home ownership. I think it is the seedbed for all that you're gonna do outside of it. It gives you a collateral base that you didn't have before. Mm -hmm. It gives you the experience of throwing, pouring money into something that you're going to own. Mm -hmm. uh, and in reality, to uh, create uh, expendable income mm -hmm. uh, through home ownership. I think I think it's the beginning of a conversation that we ought to continue to have. 
The other conversation that I think is important for our community, most of us start a business with only our business in mind, but when you start thinking about bringing together teams of businesses mm. into strip malls in different areas, mm -hmm. our combined strength makes it possible for us to buy a building we couldn't afford because it's not always based on your income, but the income that's attained through the renting out of various facilities. One of the big things that I think eats at our underbelly is that we're afraid to think big. Mm. Our, our thoughts are often myopic. It's always within the, the, the reach of our hand and the scope of our wallet. Because we were taught that? We were taught that. We think like employees. We don't think like entrepreneurs. Mm. So many times we move into entrepreneurial situations, but we have uh, employee mentalities. Mm -hmm. So we're budgeting based on I have this amount of money or I don't. Really smart entrepreneurs don't think like that. They think I can buy this building based on the projected income from other people who are going to lease and rent this building mm -hmm. and put my business in it mm -hmm. and have passive and aggressive streams of income at the same time. Mm -hmm. Those are some of the ideas that I begin to talk about in this book. So Bishop Jakes, even from the, the, the bare bones foundational piece, if we want to start a business, credit is important. Mm -hmm. And some of us are blinged out, some of us want this lifestyle, you know, yeah. the Fred Flintstone Got Rocks lifestyle. Yeah. And then for some of us who remember Dynasty, you yeah. know, um, and what is, you know, the blinged out, everything's bling. Mm -hmm. You know, the M-Bins and the Red Bottoms mm -hmm. and the Ferragamos. Do we do that to, because sometimes it's perception, mm -hmm. you know, it's all about, you know, walking, what, is, what do they call it, fake it till you make it? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or do you try to make it and then try to... Make it first. Make okay. it first. Priorities are critical. The, the business, if you really believe it, needs the investment that you might be wearing on your feet. Mm. And it's very, very important because some of the most successful people I've ever met don't look like they are. They don't always drive like they are. They don't always dress like they are. And so the priority of the day, there are some things that I can do now that I couldn't do when I had my children at home. Mm -hmm. Having raised all of my children, being in a different season mm -hmm. of my life, opens up doors that I couldn't have. Premature success is not good success. Mm. You understand? It's like having a baby prematurely. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna get preachy on you for a minute. Okay, but I'm the, ready. But the Bible <laughs> said that Benjamin shall raven as a wolf. In the morning he shall devour the prey, and in the evening he shall divide the spoils. Mm. The inference is you devour in the morning and you divide the spoils in the evening. Mm. Our problem is we do that backwards. We're trying to divide spoils that we haven't devoured yet. And anytime you do that, it, the Africans call it the danger of eating your dinner in the morning. And so this bling and this excessive uh, things that we do at the wrong season in our life, while it might make us look industrious and look successful, it actually is the cancer that's keeping us from being as successful as we ought to be. It's the cancer that's keeping us from soaring. Right. So in a time such as this, we are sitting in this wonderful hotel with your book on the soar on the marble table just across the street from the White House. Is for times such as this, we are seeing um, changes in the environment. Mm -hmm. We're seeing um, overt and subtle divisions when it comes to race. This could also play into keeping us from soaring. What do you say to people in the midst of a time like this with a new president who's not necessarily reaching out to minority communities overtly mm -hmm. for business. Um, you know, he talks now and again about black unemployment. Mm -hmm. But what do you tell the community when it comes to a time such as this? We have the president that we allow to get elected. 
and uh, the the power there is not with dollars the power is with votes and we have to let our strength be heard at the voters uh, at the polls mm -hmm. in a way that we historically have not been uh, as motivated. I hope that with the coming election, there will be great motivation to become involved in the electoral process. Millennials, not just blacks, but millennials, afterwards were outraged and marching in the streets. But if we had as many people voting as we had marching, we wouldn't be in some of the conundrums that we are right now. And I think that the people who don't vote get ignored. Uh, people who do vote, they get the attention whether the politician is really for them or not. Mm -hmm. This is not always just about color issues. Mm -hmm. It's about the power of the vote because if you have enough people voting, you'd be surprised how people convert to your ideas when you can get them elected. And we have to use our collective strength like never before because our numbers are declining. Mm -hmm. We are not the strongest minority. Our issues are not going to be at the top of the table. Mm -hmm. And we also need to find synergy with other minorities with similar dilemmas. Mm -hmm. Some of those people with similar dilemmas are not even minorities. Mm -hmm. When you listen at the cry of the Red Belt states in some areas as it relates to jobs and mm -hmm. economic empowerment, it's very similar to what's being said in the inner city. I know those might be strange bedfellows, mm -hmm. but we might need to unite around common issues rather than common colors. Right. You've had the ear of presidents, many presidents. Have you talked to this one yet? No. Mm. <laughs> you were just like, no, and then turned and leaned your head a little bit. Do you want to talk to him? Do you think it's a necessity right now? If I thought that talking to him could make a difference, I would certainly be willing to do that. I don't think that I could add anything right now that would be uh, impactful enough to last. I think that this administration is being bombarded with a whole lot of different ideas and the statements that come out of this administration change every 24 hours. Uh, I have a rule in my life, never go to battle where there are no spoils. Mm. If I can't be impactful in that space, I don't need a photo op. So uh, until I can see where I can really make substantive impact, then I don't want to waste his time or mine seeking a meeting so that we can take pictures of each other. That's what I see happening. <laughs> I see a lot of pictures. I don't see a lot of change. Mm. And, and lastly, we've got Soar. Soar is your baby. You, you traveled to Africa. You're looking to help bolster a black middle class there. And you're trying to help people in this country mm -hmm. who've not been entrepreneurs before yes. to change the dynamic. What would you say to them? 2017 going into 2018, as you think of SOAR and this White House, how do we navigate? What are, what are your key focal points for this? I, I think that there are several things we, we need to, most of the time we get ready to start a business, we start from the perspective of capital. But the greatest capital we need is human resources. So I, I'm saying to people, build your team first before you build your dream. Start identifying people who have synergism around what you are trying to be and do and start meeting with them, interacting with them, having discussions now, irrespective to who's in the White House. Build your team around you because at the end of the day, politicians are gonna come and they're going to go. But your team and your infrastructure is not built on somebody who's gonna be gone in four years. Your team has got to be built on people who are gonna be there in four years. And so build your own team and then collectively set your agenda, start raising your 
capital, build your business up, and pay attention to the policies that reflect the interests and concerns of people who are trying to build for the future. So anyone can soar. Anyone can soar. At any age, at any stage. Harlan Sanders was in his 60s when he started KFC. You have to remember that. Bob Schaefer said something to me at a dinner party right here in Washington, D.C. at Sally Quinn's house that I will never forget. He said, don't ever say that you are old. He said, everything major in my life happened after 65. It blew my head right off my shoulders. We have to rethink how we see ourselves about age, about gender, and about race. And we have got to stop drinking the Kool-Aid that says either one of the three knocks us out of having any chance of being successful. The only thing that knocks us completely out of the chance is an empty mind and, and the lack of dreams. We're talking a book. I feel like I'm ready to jump over a pew. I feel empowered, <laughs> Bishop Jakes. Wow. I'm going to soar. Thank you so much. Thank you for the interview. I appreciate it. With this week's On the Record, I'm AURN White House correspondent April Ryan. Don't forget to subscribe to On the Record on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or any other podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review. On the Record, a product of American Urban Radio Networks.